in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, folks, at 106, good afternoon. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Folks, a delicious uh, meal is waiting for you. Lunch right now at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. I want to, um, a couple of stories. Suspect in North Providence stand off to have a court hearing. When is that happening? Oh, today. Boom, boom, boom. Third Division District, four felonies, threat to a public official, possession of a firearm, sale, possession of silencers. Whoa, I didn't know he had those. Felony, those are tough to uh, operate, from what I understand. A lot of times they can malfunction. In a movie, they always go off. But I've heard in real life that they, the, the, the bullet can jam, transmit bomb threats in a false threat, obstructing an officer. Firing in a compacted area, disorderly conduct. He, um, it would seem he's going to spend some time in Cranston. Uh, let me, um, I want to just, um, there, there was an update on the uh, teenager that was shot and killed, 15 years old, shot and killed in Providence over the weekend. And Major David LaPayton of, I couldn't go. It was at 1130 this morning. We're right in the middle of the show. I could not attend, but I did want to hear some of this. So this, um, and then I am going to talk about the, the restaurant with the Anne Frank meme, which is just, re- all right. This is uh, Providence Major, Lieutenant Major David LaPayton. Let me hear a little bit. Uh, there we found uh, 15-year-old Javante Tilson with a gunshot wound. Uh, he was pronounced dead at the scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, we are still working that now. I heard it's very bloody. It have been through the weekend, and so there's really not much more I can give you. Um, you know, he was there with two, uh, or he was accompanied by two people, and as far as... Um, an assailant, uh, we know obviously at least uh, one, maybe two or more. So um, that's, we're still working that today. Um, it, it does appear to be targeted. Um, and that's really all I have for you. If you have any questions on that, now I'll answer. You said two people. Do you know if they were both adults? Uh, we're with, we're with him. With, yeah. Yes. They weren't family members. I don't believe so. Uh, they could have been, but I, I don't know. Any information on where the um, juvenile went to school? I don't know. One of the things the mother said at um, a vigil last night was that he was running door to door, knocking on people's doors for help. Is that something you guys are looking into? Surveillance video? Um, and why was he? Did he know he was being targeted? Um, I don't know if that, we're not sure on that yet. Um, there's a lot of things we still have to uncover, um, so. Was that house on Wallace Street his house, where he was shot? No. Unrelated to? Unrelated to where he lives or any of the, uh, or his, his people that were from our point of view, 15 years old is one of the youngest we've covered in recent years. Can you speak on kind of that impact? Yeah, obviously. Um, when they're that young, our victims, and, you know, of course, every victim to every victim's family is, is you know, the most outrageous and the most important. But, um, yeah, to see our youth, um, you know, getting hurt like that is very disturbing to us. And, of course, we're going to work hard to make sure that whoever did this is is uh, brought to justice. Do we know where the shooters are from? Is there a, are they from town? Are they from province? Are they from another town in the area? Like, do we have an idea of that? We're still working that now. Still early, um, though we are on it, and we're pushing along. It's still early. Do you mind spelling um, his name? Uh, 
uh, G-E-R-V-O-N-T-A-T-I-L-S-O-N. Do we have any information about the firearm as well? No. Did we, I mean, we do have some information, but not that they're going to get out. Did a neighbor end up calling 911? Do you know who made that call? Yeah, there's a few people that called. So. Are the other witnesses cooperating? Uh, we have some cooperation. Oh. I mean, obviously, we like 100% cooperation, but we usually don't get that. But we, we certainly make do with, with what we have. This is our fifth murder. Four previous ones have been solved. So we're going to do our best to get this one solved. So. Did you say you've been convicted of murder this year? This year. Okay. And any idea whether or not it was related to gang violence at all? We don't know. We don't know. That hasn't came up yet, so, but we, we don't know. Okay. Any more questions on that? All right. All right. I guess last question, any message that you'd like to share or send to the family as of right now? I've already spoken to the family privately and uh, at the scene, and uh, they know, you know, you know, our feelings here and how uh, we're, you know, 100 percent behind them, and of course we'll help them through whatever we can do. Okay. All right. Um, why don't we go to um, Smithfield? That was the quality fuel. So that was, um, there was five, that was around 4 p.m. on Saturday. There was five people on mopeds, and they pulled into quality fuel, uh, fuel and they, um, I believe they were off their bike. Suddenly a car comes in, um, a BMW, I believe, and shots are fired from the car at the kids uh, who were on the mopeds. Uh, one, was, one was hit. The kids scattered. Um, and I don't know. I shouldn't call them kids. They're young adults. I think they're in their twenties. So they scattered. Um, one person was seriously wounded. He was taken to run out of the hospital. Critical condition. Went right to surgery, and I believe he's still in either critical or serious condition. So, <clears throat> but hopefully he. Uh, and it looks like he will survive. Major, with that, you say mopeds, were you talking mopeds, street legal mopeds, not off-road vehicles, they're off-road? Right. Okay. Mopeds. So street legal vehicles. Legal, but not registered. Are they all unregistered vehicles? Yes. And were they, because they're registered to Rhode Island, but they're unregistered, so we know where the individuals were from. Yes. We're still working on that. Okay. Yeah. We followed up on that. Um, so that was... Uh, Marcus McLean, 23 years old, is our victim from uh, Smithfield Road. We wish him the best, and I, I think he will be recovering. Um, like I said, once we get him to our hospital, the hospital, the, the chances uh, go way up. So they do a good job there. Um, so that is still, obviously, we're still working that case. Also, any questions on that case? So just to clarify, there are no suspects involved right now? No, well, we have, we have found the vehicle in Plainville, Massachusetts. Uh, it's, it's been shot up. And, you know, one thing I'll add is the person that was shot, who was in the hospital, McLean, did pull a handgun and fire back at the car. So um, the car does have some, some bullet holes in it. Um, and we do not have a gun. Is there any charges to the victim for firing a weapon in the city? Well, yeah, that remains to be seen. So all part of the investigation. Okay. Um, and that'll be it. Okay, so Hoffett, Hoffett Avenue. Uh, Jonathan Valley, age 32, uh, was shot in the um, leg. He had said... Um, uh, he was shot in front of uh, Hoffett Avenue by unknown people. We followed a, a trail back to Fort Bodell. Um, and then after further investigation, which included looking at the videos at, at Hoffett, and we, we have arrested a, uh, a male and, and, uh, and he got to that shooter. Um, and he is 
I believe he is out of the hospital now, so. But, okay. Are you using the name of the man arrested? Yeah, I'll give it to you after. Okay. Um, and I think that's it. Are there any more questions on that? Okay. So, is that arrest? Would that close that case? Huh? Would that arrest? Would that close that case on the, on the weekend? Yes. That one's okay. I guess if you can, excuse me, just talk to us a little bit about this, all this violence that happened this weekend. Is this something that's normal for Providence? Uh, no. Well, we just, I, uh, you know, we just had a very good street when we had a very low arrest. But even, I think, um, the mayor, the chief commissioner, talked to you a couple of weeks ago. And they said, hey, you know, even though we're here to tell you that this, it's down, it's a very fluid uh, motion with, with crime. You know, it's like it is everywhere. And um, so this, that's why this popped up this weekend. Um, so we're dealing with it. Everybody's, uh, everybody's working hard. Um, and uh, but on the whole, uh, numbers are still down. Yeah. And so um, for residents watching this tonight, probably maybe a little worried to go out. Yeah. What, what, what message, I guess, would you send to them to it's say, like, this is what we're doing to target crime um, that you're seeing? Well, I think the message is that I've been sending through the years has showed that, you know, what we do to curb violence, we have extra men on the street, we deploy our intelligence people, um, we, you know, we just do what is necessary to uh, lower the crime. <clears throat> but I think if you look at all these, we believe these are all targeted. So they were all meant um, for, um, you know, this was, this was, this was something that was prepared, you know, they were meant to come in and start shooting at these particular people. Um, and, and that's, that's what it is, so. That obviously concerns high-profile places in front of the Renaissance Hotel at a gas station as well. Uh, sometimes they don't occur at those high-profile ones. And what do you say to folks about that? Yeah, so if they, you know, you get them in high-profile places, um, not usually, usually, you know, you see them in, in neighborhoods or at local gas stations or places, and um, just be aware of your surroundings. That's what I say. You have to just be mindful of where you are, and uh, I know I always am, but I'm even out of town, it's fine, and like anyone else, and use common sense, good judgment, and uh, you should be fine. All right, folks, that is uh, Major David LaPayton earlier. The 15-year-old murder, again, good afternoon. It's 119. It's John DePietro on AM 1380. And, um, 909 FM. This portion of, of our program, folks, is brought to you by, remember, Propane Plus for all your propane needs. Give them a call today. Call Propane Plus. Give them a call in Rhode Island at 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. Propane Plus. They've been serving you 24-7 for three generations. Give them a call, heating and cooling, or you can also check out their website. It's propaneplus.com. Very user-friendly website. And then you just type in residential, commercial, and your zip code. And they'll get to you. But make sure you choose Propane Plus. All right. I want to go to some other sound we have um, over the course of. I also want this um, this story on this that I have. I think I have audio on this. Of this restaurant in Tiverton with the Anne Frank thing. It's just, it's just ludicrous. I mentioned it last hour. I mean, the, the frightening thing to me about this is the fact that the individual seemingly behind it didn't even recognize that, like, gee, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be posting something like that. That's the part that stands out to me. Like, the, like that didn't occur to you. That that didn't um, that didn't occur to you that 
that that maybe you know you shouldn't be um, posting something about Anne Frank and you know like that has to be explained to someone. That's I think kind of frightening about it. So so they didn't know. They didn't recognize that, gee, maybe, you know, we shouldn't be posting something on that. Now, Channel 6 did a story on it. I'm just trying to find audio of it. And then I know there was a vigil last night for the 15-year-old that was shot and killed. I saw it posted. I thought they had it posted um, regarding the the restaurant and the Anne Frank thing. But very, very, oh, okay. I mean, do they have sound on this? Do they not have sound on it? They don't have sound on it. Really? You didn't want to post it? No? All right. Well, there's nothing I can do about that. All right, folks. Good afternoon once again. Uh, Listen, the the top story is obviously the weather and seeing if it could cool down somewhat because it's just been, uh, you know, I actually don't mind it, though. I actually don't mind the heat I take this over sub-zero because even when it's very warm the way it was over the course of the weekend either in the morning or in the afternoon I mean I I was out yesterday and cycling and whatever you want to call it bike bike riding and um, you know there was actually a breeze where I was and it was not that it was not that bad so I don't um but the but I just I despise the cold cold weather, the cold cold weather. Um, I would I would take the the heat anytime. I know some people are are saying, um, you know, when's fall? Enough of this. But you know, you can deal as long as you're an AC. I think it's fine. Where is the um, hmm? No, that's not it. That's not it. Monkey pox. Oh, Biden and his COVID is seemingly getting better. That is actually true. All right, I'll play the piece on this. The monkey pox thing is getting bad. All right, here's the latest piece, folks. 123, President Biden and his symptoms. Is the message that his physician, Dr. Kevin O'Connor, at the White House, uh, White House officials and people like uh, Dr. Ashish Jha, the White House COVID coordinator, are putting out after the president spent a weekend in isolation in the White House. First Lady was in Delaware, improving significantly. That's the word. And what that means is, remember the symptoms that the president complained about last week when he first came down with COVID. He had a runny nose, he had a dry cough, he had fatigue and body aches. Uh, Those have diminished considerably, the doctor says. His lungs are clear. He has no shortness of breath at all, and he continues to be able to work. Now, the White House wants to emphasize that this is what what uh, is in the works for most people who get double vaccinated, double boosted, even at age double boosted, even at age 79. And this is his fifth day now on Paxlovid, which is a drug available to all Americans and really has a very powerful effect for those, especially most at risk, like older Americans. So it's good news from the White House, and they're trying to use it as a teaching moment for the rest of us as well. And the president like being affected by that it's BA5 variant. That's the most prevalent strain in the U.S. right now. It is. Right now, George, the CDC says that 87% of Americans are living in counties where there is a high risk or a medium risk uh, of getting COVID. And what that means is that in those high-risk uh, counties in particular, and that's 64% of Americans, the, the health care system can come under strain. Hospitalizations, deaths considerably lower than they were at the beginning of the pandemic. But when you get this much virus, you can get an impact on the health care system. That's what they're worried about. Karen Moran, thanks very much. Michael? So you watch. The fall is going to be brutal. The fall is going to be brutal. Hey, also, how about back to school? Uh, expenses are considerable right now. This this is another one of those things that I think will really hit uh, parents. Back to school costs are skyrocketing. Listen to this. And rising prices have home. You can see their scorched washer and dryer, the chimney standing, oh. and really not a whole lot else. Hold not on, even folks. a foundation, really, except for one little Hold square on, bed. bear with me. Survey. 
Oh, here we go. Over $860 on average. And many of them have noticed higher prices on everything from clothes to school supplies and even electronics. With three boys ages 10, 12, and 14, Lindsay says shopping for back to school is especially tough. Back to school shopping is pretty extensive. We have a lot of lists to cover and a lot of clothes to get because right now they're at an age where things fit for about a week. With inflation hitting hard at both the pump and the grocery store, she feels even more pressure to find deals. We feel the squeeze like everybody else. Everything seems to be going up, but really the back to school deals have been really good. But the good news for parents like Lindsay is that Florida is one of the 17 states around the country that have tax-free holidays for school supplies starting today or in upcoming weeks. This week is my Olympics. The savings really stack up. Definitely with the tax advantage and the stores stacking their sales on top of it, we'll definitely be finishing up our shopping by Friday. And you can head to our website to find out if your state has a tax-free holiday on back-to-school needs and when it starts. And to our viewers in Connecticut, your holiday ends on Wednesday. George? So 18 states, including Connecticut, have these tax-free holidays. What are other ways to save? So there are a number of ways people can save additional money. Take a look at cashback apps like Rakuten and Ibotta, which offer cashback on top of discounts, both in stores and online. Ibotta's partnering with some top brands from today through August 31st, and they've got some very special back-to-school offers on supplies like notebooks and lunchbox treats. How about the big ticket items like electronics? So that's the stuff that's going to cost you more, and the best way to save there is on refurbished electronics. They can save you a lot of money, but you want to make sure that you buy from a certified seller. You can find refurbished computers made by Acer, Dell, and more on eBay. Some models come with warranties that are backed by eBay's money-back guarantee. Things to keep in mind there, though, before you buy, check out the return policy comparison shop. You can find a major price difference on the same or similar model, George. Okay, Rebecca, thanks very much. Aren't you glad we brought you in from the you know, folks, um, I think that's one of those things. It's just no matter how much, um, like McKee and what they're they're trying to make the elections about in the fall, I I think it's going to fall short. I really think it's going to fall short. The the Biden presidency, and again, good afternoon at one twenty eight. You're listening to the John DePietro show. It's AM thirteen eighty and ninety nine point nine FM. Uh, we are expecting very hun- heavy thunderstorms coming later today to um, try to break this, or it should break this humidity, I should say. Uh, uh, but um, let's see. Um, I want to find, I, I watched the Sunday shows yesterday. Attorney General Pina Narona was on Newsmakers. And um, I I give him credit. You know, as I said to Justin Katz in our first hour, he, um, the, the guy, he, he makes himself so available to media. And I, I get that not everyone understands the significance of this, but Attorney General Peter Kilmartin went eight years without having a press conference. He can't get any questions answered. And and then, you know, if there was some investigation, sometimes they would put out a press release on it. Sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, there was no rhyme or reason to it. But for a sitting attorney general like Narona, who's uh, facing a challenger in the fall, in November, and to make himself so readily available to sit down, I think it's um, it's not lost on me that this is something that in the past we normally have not seen. So I want to play. This is some of him with Tim White. Uh, would not be retroactive, so it would not have impacted the uh, the Aaron Thomas case. We should note Aaron Thomas's attorney said in a statement his client denies any criminal wrongdoing, and the testing was solely to improve student-athlete performance. Now, Rhode Island 
has a duty to report law that requires all persons, including personnel, to report suspected child abuse to DCYF. Flags about Aaron Thomas were raised at least as far back as 2018, according to our reporting, but nothing truly was addressed until 2021, um, and you launched your investigation uh, last, last fall. Did your, did your investigation look at culpability on the part of school officials at the time, and is that still on the table? Yeah, look, it, it is. You know, I will point out, Tim, that it has a, that has a three-year three year statute of limitations as well. So I'm not suggesting by saying that that we have conclusively concluded whether there is a case there or not. We're still taking a look at that. And I know the U.S. Attorney's Office is also looking at institutional uh, and the institutional response. Can you use evidence the U.S. Attorney gathers? Yeah, look, you know, we share information all the time. And so and, and across a lot of different kinds of cases. But look, you know, I think the statute of limitations is, is one of these things that I think can fly under the radar sometimes for the public. But when you're looking at, at uh, criminal misconduct, you've always got to be thinking about that statute of limitations because you've got to know. First of all, you've got to know how fast we've got to go. Right? We don't want to lose a case right. because the statute's running even while we're investigating. So that is always in the back of our minds when we're investigating a case. But it also, you have to understand, we have to understand that even if we find criminal misconduct, we may not be able to bring it. So from an experienced prosecutor's perspective, you've always got the statute of limitations in your mind. You know what it is. You know how it's affecting potential charges, but you also know what your own deadline is. All right. I want to. Uh, we may return to this topic, but we have so much to cover. I'm going to move on to Tony Silva. Your office declined to prosecute former Governor mm. McKee's chief of staff, but found his actions in trying to pressure state and local officials to greenlight a family development project on wetlands in Cumberland was um, improper, I believe yeah. is the word you used. Um, you could have just said, look, no laws were broken and moved on. Yeah. But you issued a 22-page report, released all the investigatory materials. Those are on your website. We link through it on, in our story. Why did you do that? Look, I just think the public has a right to know, um, first of all, in terms of the materials, the public has a right to know, and frankly, they're apparable, as they should be. The public has a right to know uh, what we found in terms of... You should of say apparable is our access to public yes. records act laws, so yes. people can uh, request public documents. Correct. To yeah, so we know that the public's entitled to them, ultimately. So there's no reason to hold it back, number one. Number two... Um, I think that by putting those materials up there, it shows the depth of our investigation, that we were thorough, and I think that builds confidence not only in the work of the office, but in the system generally. I also but you think, also wanted to send a message about oh, this case. Well, yeah, and that's what I'm getting to. Look, I think, I think that it is incumbent on us, particularly when we spend this much time on something, and we're looking at it through a critical lens, meaning we're analyzing it very carefully, that it is incumbent on us to share with the public our view of what what happened here because as we say in the report that the conduct of mr silva while not illegal by uh, using his position of authority um, gaining access that everyday knowledge would not have shakes confidence in the agency result there are those who are always going to think that agency approval of that project was driven by something than the facts and the merits uh, i personally don't believe that but there are going to be people who think that why because an insider had access and so look you know we concluded that uh, mr silva exercise poor judgment by getting involved in a matter, a personal matter, when he had a high-level a high-level authority position. Um, and my hope is that others will take note of that and perhaps act differently in the future. And that agency you referred to as the Department of Environmental Management. Right. Again, we have our full story on WPRI.com. I want to step back. Um, you know, this question is prompted by the Tony Silva investigation, but I want to step back from the specifics of that. You looked at in that case, potential bribery, extortion, and ethics violation yes. charges. Uh, again, his actions did not cross that threshold in your analysis. So putting the case aside, there is a federal honest services charge, mm -hmm. which as a former U.S. attorney, you're well yeah. aware of. Does Rhode Island need better public corruption laws? Well, look, if you'd asked me that question a decade ago, I would have said yes. But the Supreme Court held uh, in the Skilling case that uh, even honest services fraud in the context of public corruption requires yeah. quid pro quo bribery or extortion. So you come back to the same kind of analysis. It's either got to be a threat or it has to be a payoff, right? And so if you don't have those things, even under honest services fraud, as the Supreme Court has interpreted their statute, and I have to believe if Rhode Island had a similar statute, we'd end up in the same place. Right. It doesn't really change. So if you've been doing this for a long time, as I have, you're always looking for the bribe or the threat. And if you don't find those things, you don't have a standard, typical corruption case. Ethics is a little more nuanced, but what ethics requires is you have an official position, okay? You have a personal matter, and your official position can tip the needle, if you will, from an official perspective on that personal matter. There's where you get into trouble under the ethics code. 
I want to move to body-worn cameras, police body-worn cameras. Your office, along with the state police, released draft regulations for police body-worn cameras. Every officer in the state will eventually be equipped with them, and there is now a formal public comment uh, period on the draft policy that you released. I want to look specifically at body camera video as a public record, which they are, and your draft language put in the balancing language test that is in the APRA law we referenced earlier that would make the video exempt or subject to redaction if anything is personally identifiable. Does that, doesn't that just open the door for police departments to say no or claim it will cost so much to redact that video and it will be too expensive for, for anyone to get it? Because everything in this video is personally identifiable, yeah. General. Well, that, that's, that's not how it's intended to be interpreted, and I don't think it will be uh, interpreted that way. Look, we have to take into account privacy interests, you know, particularly for, you know, uh, for children and, and witnesses and others. So, so look, I think... I think the policy, the protocol, uh, strikes the right balance. But look, that's the whole point of putting it out there for public comment. You know, it is a, still a work in progress. And if we take that, take those public comments back in a way that we think require changes, then we'll do that. But look, it, it's going to be a balancing act. You know, I remember going through this, um, going through the policy the, or the, the regulations just within the last couple of weeks and asking some, some real questions as to how we're going to balance these things. It's, it's not going to be simple. But look, my position has always been to err on the side of release. And that's been true on everything we've handled in the offices. I think that's reflected in the rules we've made under the open government laws. And I suspect in the end, that's how this is going to be. Yeah, but too. you know, these regulations will live uh, longer than whatever, how long you serve, you're, you're seeking a second term. And, you know, Attorney General Jane Doe or Attorney General John Doe might have a different uh, philosophy mm -hmm. than you. So that's why these things are yeah. so important. Uh, granular question on this. Look, if an arrest is made, Arrest reports, as you know, are a public record. Yeah. Why wouldn't, and they're not subject to the balancing test, why wouldn't the video be part of the arrest report and be public? Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think because the, different, the difference is, is that even under the circumstances of an arrest report, sometimes those could be redacted as well. I, look, I think, I, and go back to your question about sort of what the next attorney general is going to do. My view is this, that if... Um, and I, and I take this view with all of the work that we do in the office, whether it's building a stronger civil division or, or otherwise, it's very hard to undo the precedents that have been set by your, you know, by your predecessor. Sure, somebody could come in and do it totally differently, but the expectation is hopefully that you're going to follow, um, uh, in areas of significant public importance, the work of your predecessor, because it makes sense, frankly, for you to do that. There's going to be, I think, a huge hue and cry if somebody were to come in and be less transparent than we've tried to be. And I hope that that will carry on to the next administration whenever that happens. All right, this is sort of a thick topic, but another important one, concealed carry permits for, for handguns. Uh, you decided Rhode Island's concealed carry gun laws are constitutional following a Supreme Court decision. Rhode Island is different in, than most yeah. states. It has, it has two laws, and so people understand towns, uh, usually through their police chief, can issue a concealed carry permit. Uh, what is key in that language is that the law says they shall issue the permit. You, could, you can also, as Attorney General, issue these concealed carry permits, but the language for, that regulates you says may. This is important because the holding in, in that Supreme Court decision that I referenced, New York versus Bruin, is a person does not have to show need to get a concealed carry permit. And that is true on the town level right. in Rhode Island. But you do require to show need or you can require that. Based on the holding in Bruin, how is that constitutional? Yeah, it's pretty simple, actually. And, and, the, and the holding makes that, in my view, makes that very clear. So the New York law, uh, under the New York law, nobody, nobody in the state of New York can get a permit without showing need. In Rhode Island, everybody can by going to their city or town. So I want to say that again. In New York, nobody could get a permit without showing need. In Rhode Island, everyone can. That's the difference. And the court recognized that. When the court um, went through its decision, uh, they uh, discussed every single state's laws. And they took no issue with Rhode Island's laws. They took issue with six states in the District of Columbia, but not with ours. And so my view is this. In Rhode Island, every single Rhode Island resident provides why do they pass a background check and meet some of the criteria, can get a concealed carry permit without a showing of need. The law gives me a different standard. And here's the other thing, Tim. The General Assembly requires that I uh, ask for a showing of need before I can issue the permit. The alternative for me would have been to not issue permits at all, right? If, if I can't require someone to show need, now my ability to, to issue them at all under the Rhode Island statute is eliminated. 
And look, you know, it was clear to me that for us to get out of the permitting business would harm uh, individuals, not only individuals, the 97% of individuals who have applied for a permit with my office that have gotten them on a showing of need, who want them from my office for whatever reason, but also security uh, companies that have to come to me for open carry permits. I wouldn't be able so to license them. I'm so glad that was really important I'm to glad me. you said that. Isn't that the distinction between you and the state, uh, excuse me, the town level law, that your permit allows open carry. Sure, but the Supreme Court didn't say, didn't say you have a right to open carry. What they said was that you have a right to carry a concealed weapon. Rhode Island, you have that right by going to your city or town. New York, nobody had it. In Rhode Island, everybody has so it. And you, that's a distinction. You think if someone challenges your decision on this about the open carry permit, um, based on the holding in Bruin, it, it's constitutional. I do, I do. Look, look, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, we talked about this in the office of why it took us a little bit of time to put the guidance out. You know, the Supreme Court was plainly aware of Rhode Island's scheme. And the, uh, and the Rhode Island Supreme Court has also waited on this, on this dual, uh, on this dual permitting uh, regime that we have and found there to be no problem. So yes, again, if, if you go through the Supreme Court decision carefully, as frankly we did in the office, what you see, whether it's in Alito's decision or in Kavanaugh's uh, decisions, which are concurrences or the main decision uh, written by Judge Thomas, joined by Ju Justice Gorsuch, what you see is what they're saying is, in New York, you could only get it if you, shoot, if you showed need. In Rhode Island, that's not true, and therefore I think our statute is constitutional. We'll be challenged, I'm sure it will be, but we're prepared to defend it. All right, we're going to take a break on the program. When we come back, increased violence among feuding biker gangs. Stay with us. You're watching me. Again, folks, that was, um, I want to play it. Um, that was Attorney General Peter Narona. Attorney General Peter Narona with... Tim White with the Newsmakers program. So, um, covered a lot. I didn't hear a lot. Or I maybe, I don't know if they talked about Governor McKee and the whole FBI probe. I didn't hear that. They may have stayed away from that a little bit. But he does have a challenger. He has Republican Chaz Kalenda. Um, at least he has a challenger. At least he has a challenger. It's not. It's not easy. It's a big office. Um, Chaz Kalanda has some supporter. Has he has support? He's getting out there. He's running a real campaign. He's campaigning. He's raising money. They're definitely going to have a chance to debate. I actually. Uh, I would like to see those two debate. I think it'd be a very uh, substance. And there's there's definitely some areas that they disagree with that then, you know, would really come out in a debate. So, now there was a lot of talk over the weekend on um, the Sunday shows, meaning the Sunday morning shows, I should say, <clears throat> regarding, obviously, they go right after January 6th. Al Gore appeared both on Meet the Press and this week, and he had this weird space background, but that's his thing. Right? He was the first one that really talked a lot um, about uh, you know, climate change. At that time, it was global warming, and now it's become climate change. Dr. Jar was also on. They, they go pretty heavy on the January 6th stuff. I think now the next hearing is not until September. Um, the argument that is trying to be made on a lot of these shows is just that um is is that um the president trump's power is waning i think it's he's still even in a in a primary they show trump 49 DeSantis 25 so but i want to play some of the uh, round table on ABC's This Week. Uh, New York Times uh, Siena poll about the, the, the uh, potential Republican 2024 uh, primary. Take a look at this. You've got uh, uh, Trump far and away the lead candidate, but with less than 50%, barely less than 50%. Um, but still, still, you know, far and away the, the, the leading candidate for, uh, for the Republican nomination. Yeah, just shy of 50%, which should give some of his opponents pause. But I think to Chris's point, a lot of people right now are preparing for two years out, they're preparing for 24, and it's not really clear how voters are going to shake out yet. So certainly polling shows that 
it doesn't seem so far like the January 6th hearings have moved a lot of people, you know, people's minds have been made up, but is there some sort of fatigue or frustration with Trump starting to seep in, right? Are there some people, you know, some sort of more moderate Trump supporters, Republican-leaning independents, who are increasingly interested in seeing what the alternatives are, and as you can see from this poll, there's lots of alternatives. You know, I, I, um, <coughs> I don't know about that. But the fact that, that Pence is coming out more, I want to hear, I want you to hear this part. But the reaction, uh, he got a warm welcome from Arizona Republicans. And you saw he got behind closed doors, but a very warm welcome from House Republicans. This is the guy who's been demonized by Donald Trump, basically getting applauded and thanked for his courage by House Republicans. Explain that. And some of the most conservative House Republicans here. We have Congressman Chip Roy standing up during this meeting behind closed doors, thanking Mike Pence for his, quote, courage on January 6th. One member told me that, frankly, every single person in the room applauded. This is several dozen House Republicans. Conservative group. Conservative group. And when they were leaving, I had an opportunity to talk to many of these Republicans, and they liked that Mike Pence came with a plan, a direction about where he believes the Republican Party should be headed, not only after the midterms, but 2024 and beyond. And they like what they heard. But the big question is, is whether or not Republicans, the base, is going to like what they see in Mike Pence. He's clearly laying the, the groundwork, a path for something beyond 2022. I don't see it. I don't. I, Pence is the, he's just not my type of guy. Maybe Midwest. <clears throat> maybe he's their type of guy. He's not my type of guy. Listen to Chris Christie talk about uh, President Trump and the, the party. That's Pence. He's a rhino coward who participated against the Republican Party in the totally partisan unselect committee. A political thugs and hacks the other day and disgraced himself and he disgraced the state of Arizona. Conflicting rallies and conflicting messages from Donald Trump and Mike Pence in the race to be the Republican nominee for Arizona's next governor. Let's talk about that and more with our roundtable, former DNC chair Donna Brazil, Wall Street Journal White House reporter Catherine Lucy, ABC News congressional correspondent, the great Rachel Scott, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. So, Governor Christie, let me start with you. First of all, the message is quite stark there. You have Pence talking about the future, talking about the candidate, and Donald Trump attacking fellow Republicans and talking about the past. Yeah, look, uh, the, the party has a fundamental decision to make, and that is, are we going to be the party of me or the party of us? And, and, and Trump is the party of me. And as you saw from his comments, it's all about him. It's all about 2020. It's all about him. You, you know, you don't hear him mention anything about what's going on in the country, about what our ideas should be to try to solve the problems the country is facing, and all the rest. And, and you know, this is going to continue because I know him. He'll never let it go, John. And you know him, too. But he did you see any sign that his hold is weakening? I no. mean, look what happened in Maryland. Look what happened in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Sure. His guys are winning these races. Well, look, I mean, not all of them. No, not, not all, all of them. Look, and, and, and as I've been saying since... January of 21. This is going to happen slowly and incrementally. And you're not going to see it until after it's already happened and it's already over. And the reason for that is the same thing that happened in 2016, right? In 2016, it wasn't politically correct to say you were voting for Donald Trump. So he performed much lower in the polls than he wound up doing. Now, in Republican primary polling, it's not politically correct to say you're against Donald Trump or you're for someone else. I think his numbers are artificially high. And I think this is happening slowly but surely in the party. And look, what happened this week and the replay of the 187 minutes of what he was doing, I think will have long-term, not 2022 impact, but 2024. You know, I want to, um, that is former uh, Governor Chris Christie. Um I don't, I don't agree with that. I think, um, and again, folks, good afternoon at 150. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I, I, I don't, I don't believe that that's the case. I think, um, I think because of some of that stuff, people will be open to letting the process play out. But I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a voting I don't think it's a voting issue. It, it, it's certainly not within Republicans, right? Let's see what happens with Jeff Deal in Massachusetts. He's got the Trump endorsement. 
You know, you just heard earlier, I had someone on who's running, supposedly, kind of, fringe candidate in that CD2 race. And the first thing he starts to say is, how come, you know, Fong is refusing the Trump endorsement? Well, I, I haven't heard that there was an endorsement offered. I, I don't think that plays well in our part of the country. President Trump knows that. Um, look at, like, that's the, the, the phrasing of it and the focus. Is he going to refuse the endorsement? Well, the fact is that no, no one's been from and no Rhode Island politician has ever received a Trump endorsement. It's it's a hypothetical that to me, certain members of the media and certainly the Democrat Party try to push because they want that. Seth Magaziner is just clutching to the fact that he is a photo of Alan Fung at the inauguration wearing a Trump winter hat that was given to him by someone from Rhode Island who was down there selling goods. Take away, okay, it's cold out, you arrive at the inauguration of the president and you're wearing a Trump hat. Take that away and what do you have? That to me just shows you how much Seth Magazine was basically like grabbing at straws. I don't, I don't think that's a voting issue. And I want to repeat, and I know uh, I get email from certain people <clears throat> that always say, how can you say it was just a um, rowdy protest and da-da-da? I come back to where was the accountability the summer of 2020 when they were burning police stations, when they were burning the police cruisers, when they were destroying property, smashing windows, uh, burning down buildings, all the people that were injured. Where was the accountability then? Then all we heard about peaceful protest. I'm looking at right now in the Boston Globe, Mike Pence is being lauded as a hero for democracy in D.C. Trump's base still hates him. I, that's, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know about hates him. I just don't think he's just not, he's just not my type of leader. I don't think... Um, I've already said, you know, the people that are kicking the tires on 24, obviously DeSantis in Florida, also the governor of Virginia. I think there's some pretty quality people out there that are worth watching. Folks, in a completely unrelated story right now at 153, how about the report that that there's a possible ESPN saying that the Celtics may make a trade to try to get Kevin Durant. Hmm. Celtics have talked to the Nets about Kevin Durant who's requested a trade. Potential be a long way off. No closer than that than anyone else. And the person they were offering was Jalen Brown. Um, that That's a big sports story. That's a big sports story if they could land Kevin Durant. He's a player. He he is uh, him and Tatum. I mean, I like Jalen Brown, but you're talking about Kevin Durant here, and and a Celtic fan base and ownership that that in essence want you know they want to win now. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. That famous press conference. Let me play that. Actually, I love that. You know, I know people knock him. The guy is still a phenomenal basketball coach. He just is. Um, Walking through that door. That was such a memorable press conference. Here we go. I think I should have it. Rick Pitino, not walking through that door, rant. Such a good. The guy knows basketball. You or I could have had him. Oh. All right, here we go. Larry Bird ain't walking through that door, fans. Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. Kevin McHale is not walking through that door. Here we go. Oh, do they put music to it? What's the matter with you? I don't want to hear it with music. 
I want to hear the original one with no music. They were beaten at the buzzer on their home floor on a three-pointer by Toronto's Vince Carter. The Celtics are 12 games under 500 this season, four and a half games out of the final playoff spot in the East. After that loss, Coach Rick Pitino had a passionate response when asked by a reporter how he would keep his players positive. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. What we are is young, exciting, hardworking, and going to improve. People don't realize that. And as soon as they realize that those three guys are not coming through that door, the better this town will be for all of us. Because they're young guys in that room playing their stuff. I wish we had 90 million under the salary cap. Wish we could buy the world. We can't. The only way we can do is work hard. <laughs> he also talked about the negativity, the negativity in the town. Because the negativity in this town, you know, maybe I'll listen to it through the. Um, Maybe I'll listen to it through the music. <laughs> Patino, Celtic ran. He hated the negativity. I don't say I blame him, but. All right, I think they put music to it. Here it is. We play hard the whole year. We're going to be positive every day. You're the people being negative. In some of the fans. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. <laughs> Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. And Robert Parrish's not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. Gray and old. What we are is young, exciting, hardworking, and going to improve. People don't realize that. And as soon as they realize that those three guys are not coming through that door, the better this town will be for all of us. Because they're young guys in that room playing their asses off. I wish we had 90 million under the salary cap. Wish we could buy the world. We can't. The only way we can do is work hard. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Jastrzemski booed, and it sticks. Makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. The only thing going to turn this around is being upbeat and positive like we are in that locker room. So if you think that we're not coming to play against the Toronto Raptors, you're mistaken. Only we're not coming to play with Bale, Bird, and Mikhail and Parrish, or Kuzi or Russell. We're coming with young guys who want to get better and want to play the game. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team. <laughs> he is one of a kind. You or I could have had him as the coach. It's hard to even think about it. You or I could have had Patino as a coach when Danny Hurley went to Connecticut. They did not. Nope. They didn't like the idea of winning. Nope. You or I could have had Rick Patino as the coach. And they chose not to. Folks, it's 159. Now listen, the weather, I believe rain coming later should break everything up. Because it's, it's pretty muggy right now. But it is going to improve. It's Sean DePietro. I want to visit, um, visit you. I want to encourage you to visit the website, dePietro.com, where we're going to have, uh, we have some new stories going up this afternoon. I will be doing Facebook Live later, depending on how the weather is. It clears up. We're going to be on location. If not, we're inside. Hey, listen, stay cool on this Monday. I think some relief is coming. Up next, you're going to hear the 2 o'clock news. We're back on the radio Tomorrow at 11, stay cool on this Monday.